This is Mike Shoemate's morning sermon from January 19th, 2020. It is from a series on sharing your faith practically. The sermon is titled, We Exist to Make Disciples by Making Jesus Known, and uses Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 34 as the focus text. Welcome to the North Brevard Church of Christ podcast. I'm Doug Hunter, one of the elders. We hope that this podcast makes our sermons and Bible studies more accessible. Good morning. It is good to see everybody. I've decided to walk out on a limb and talk about politics. When I was just out of college, we moved to West Virginia where Sue's parents, grandparents were pretty high up on one side of the, the formula for politics. And she came to me and said, Mike, there's an opening for a poll watcher. And it's in your area. They would like somebody who normally lives there. And I said, well, what's a poll watcher? She said, you watch the polls. What it was was a job that you go through the places where they use their ballots to make sure nobody's left any advertising for a candidate and you try to to make sure they stay away the distance that the law says they must stay away from the polls and then she said there's one more thing if somebody comes in and they can't read you might have to read the ballot to them I thought that ah, this is this is 1970s everybody should be able to read no This is the Gerald Ford, Jerry, uh, Jimmy Carter race. And it's almost the end of the day. And in walks a man, he's an older gentleman. He's in one of who? And they looked him up and they gave him a ballot. He says, can't read. So we went and I was selected since he was the opposite party of me. And we had another one who was the party of him, and we both go in, and she made sure I was reading it right. And I said, who do you want to vote for president? The man looked at me and said, who's running? You know it's going to be a long day when you get an answer like that. We're going to be there a while. So I went through the whole thing with him. It was a ballot of almost a hundred different things. Went through the whole ballot with him, and he looked up at me and says, I'll just check what I am. And he named his party, we checked one box, and the opposite poll watcher who had been watching me go through this, just left. <laughs> I told her, be careful, it's not over yet. But something similar happened in 1970. It was the year that this book came out. It's, it's a book about the Dayton housewife. She lives in Dayton, Ohio. 
She's 47 years old. She has two children. And the housing market in Dayton, Ohio is going down pretty fast. Her husband's a machinist. He's not going to be able to make up the difference. And so she worries. She worries that they'll never get out of Dayton. They're going to have to live inside the city even as she watches it deteriorate. It's where her kids are going to grow up. It's where they're going to play in the great, on, the, on the playground. And as the city deteriorates, she's worried about the crime that's increasing. And then her kids are going to get to 18 and they're going to be ready to go off to college. She'll never have the money to send her kids to college. Richard Nixon, who was then President of the United States, read the book and decided that was the way he was going to run his re-election. Now what happened was a little bit unpredictable. He started looking at people. And as he looked at people, for instance, uh, he looked at mothers. And if you were a single mother living in Dayton, Ohio, you had a, a whole different set of needs than the mother who was married with a successful husband and she could stay home. So what was she going to do as Dayton went down? He looked at the guy who had had a college education and was successful in moving forward. And he sat down and he said, well, what do they need if they've had a successful college education and, and now they're going to the workforce? Can they find a job? Will the job be satisfactory? They looked for people of my height <laughs> who were short and, and they were trying to find a better job. But in Dayton, the businesses are moving out. They're not moving in. And then there was the Southerner. That's my Southerner. His issues were different. You see, the civil rights battle in the South was really hectic at this time. And so they had a whole different set of values. Should you integrate your schools? Should you integrate your schools? Yes, yeah, Supreme Court said they, they should be integrated, but we just were against it. And don't talk about that thing called busing. You remember those days if you were old enough. And what they did with the information is they pigeonholed people. If you were college educated, you got a pigeonhole. 
If you were married with children, you got a pigeonhole. If you were married, a single parent trying to raise a child, you got a, you got a pigeonhole. And all these pigeonholes was the way they decided to run their campaign. So when they went south, they talked about the issues that were in the south. And when they went north, they talked about the issues in the north. And they singled out the groups by age, by income, by need. This became polling. You've been watching, if you've watched the news, you've seen the polls, the polls say. I've, I've had so much of the polls because if you change the channel, you change the polls. But they even found people that weren't previously named. You know what a soccer mom is? She was defined as the mother who has a minivan. And the reason she has a minivan is she has kids. And she's taking the kids to so many different events that she's always moving. One of the events is soccer. So they call her a soccer mom. And she had a whole different set of things that she wanted. She was concerned about the price of gas. Because it took a lot to go get kids and move them to the next thing. Did it work? You see that little blue state up here? It was the only state George McGovern took in the election of 72. It is the biggest landfall election ever for president. It was a landslide. And so all the other candidates picked it up. And I got thinking, only thoughts of preachers think, what if we pigeonholed candidates to be in the church? You know, what would you put on them? Would you, you want them to rich, poor, lawyers, unemployed? Which ones would you do? We could pigeonhole just the real successful ones and we could do something just for them and we could bring them in here and we'd have a lot of people and all the the church brotherhood papers would sit there and say, well, some of them would say, look at the success down there in Titusville. They're having this boom of people in. And others would say, they've got to be doing something wrong because they have this boom of people in. And they would send elders over to our elders to ask what we were doing. I thought, man, this would be great. Their only trouble is, that's not what the Bible says. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Acts 16. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for the race. And the next day, Neapolis. And we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city in the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Now, he leaves 
Troas. See if I can get it here, which is right there, and he's going to end up right there. Rome claims Philippi. They weren't part of the empire. In fact, they're still not part of the empire, but they are significant. <laughs> you see, if you were successful, you would retire in Philippi. If you were a Roman general who had made it to the top and you had won battles for, for Rome and you had all this, this glory and everything around you, you would go and retire in Philippi. If you were in the Senate, and you were doing really well, and you, you've shaped what Rome is, you would retire to Philippi. One of the commentators said it was the Palm Springs of their lives. Or if you're not rich and famous, you shouldn't go there. But Paul goes there. And on the Sabbath, he goes outside the city to the river where he expected to find a place of prayer. And he does, and he sits down and begins to speak to the women who had been gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and her household were baptized. She invited him to her home and said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Why didn't Paul just stay in Philippi to worship? Why did he have to leave the city walk almost two miles to find a group of people who would pray with him. When it comes to synagogues, if you really study your Bible in detail, you'll find out they're not mentioned in the Old Testament. And then you turn to the New Testament and there they are. They happen to occur in that 400-year period of silence between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. They found the need to have places that you could go worship and not come to the temple where you could travel a short distance and go. The only thing is, it was convenient, but they made the rules up. And if you wanted to establish a synagogue in any city, you had to have 10 Hebrew men. If you did not have 10 Hebrew men, forget it. You couldn't have a synagogue. And when Paul gets to the place in the river, all he finds is women. So they probably didn't have 10 men that wanted to be chiefs of the synagogue. And one of the women was a lady 
named Lydia. She is from Thyra Tyra. Thyra Tyra is like Beverly Hills. Rodeo Drive. If you're not making lots of money, don't go there. I used to kid Michelle, they charge you to even drive the streets. They don't, but... So she is from Thyatira. Now what's that mean? Well, if she's from Thyatira, she has a home in Thyatira. If she has a home in Thyatira, then she has a house in Thyatira. And yet she talks to Paul and after she is converted, she says, if you believe I'm a believer, come to my house tonight. So she has a house in Philippi too. Being that she has, she's from Thyatira and she's in Philippi, you know one thing, she's gone from money selling purple clothes to money people retired and being looked after by the Roman Empire. There's money in both places. And she sells in Philippi and then goes back to Thyatira. One of my friends, he's sort of a preacher that's a little goofy. That's why we like each other. He said, just think of Lydia as a, a, a fashion consultant for Nemus Marcus. Neiman Marcus. That's only the top of the line kind of thing. That's who she was. But being from Thyra, Tyra, she is also from Asia. She is not Roman. But she's Jewish. She's there praying. And being there praying... She listens to what Paul says and she and her whole household were baptized. And then she begs Paul to come and stay at her house and he does. Now, how did Paul convert Lydia to Christianity? Remember, she's Jewish at this time. She knows the prophecies of the Old Testament. And she connects the Old Testament prophecies with what Jesus did. And she said, he did come. And I missed it. Now, if you have a Lydia... You can't pigeonhole her and say there's one approach to making her a Christian. What she needed is somebody that came across with a, a good knowledge of the Old Testament and could link the two together. You want another one off the top of my head here is Acts 2. Peter just takes the Old Testament prophecies and said, you know, Jesus did these. And it convinced them. But let's read on. 
once they were going to the place of prayer where we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and the rest of us around, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Said it just like that, too. It's a perfect imitation of her. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left. Now, there's, there's some stuff in the Greek that just makes this fascinating. In Philippi, there were two big temples, Zeus and Apollo. She's an Apollo follower. How do you know that? Because where it said she had a spirit, that allowed her, that word for spirit means she had the spirit of a python. The python was the guardian of the temple of Apollo. So he identifies what she believes in, identifies it, but when he throws the, the spirit out of her, she couldn't predict the future anymore. And the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone. They couldn't exploit her anymore. And they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our cities into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten and after they had been severely flogged they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. The inner cell is way in the back. These guys are important, and if something happens that the doors open up or, or some people get out, they're going to be way in the back, and they're not going to escape. To put your feet in stocks in this day, they spread your feet as far apart as they could and then anchored them in place. You would have cramps in your legs the whole time. It was meant to torture and so they're torturing Paul and Silas. They've been flogged. They've been beaten and now they're in prison waiting to see what the authorities do the next day. And at midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Talk about having a bad day and still they're praising God. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once the doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose and the jailer woke up. And he saw the prison doors open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. 
And the jailer called for lights, and he fell before them trembling. And he said, then he brought out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Guesses are, this was a guy who was pretty high up in the military before he retired, and now he was given the charge of the jail, sort of an honorary thing. But if the prisoners had escaped, he would be crucified. And he thought falling on the sword was a lot easier than being crucified. But Paul shouts out, don't do that. We're here. And he comes up to them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the Lord to him and others in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and his whole family. Now, here's the question. What in the world converted this man to Jesus? One Bible. He's Roman. He had no Bible. It wasn't that he witnessed anything miraculous except the gates were open and nobody left. He needed somebody that would live their life and that would walk beside him in good times and bad. Just a friend. I've told you before about my golf game. Uh, we lived in West Virginia at the time. Mike was a coal miner. He was my partner in golf. Well, he played golf. Uh, I sort of put hit and hunt. But he said, we got two other guys coming. I said, oh. He says, uh, these guys aren't Christian. I said, what you telling me, Mike? He says, their language isn't going to be good. That's okay. I can handle that. So we get to the eighth hole, and I tee off, and I hook it into the woods. I said, well, I'm going to take a while to find that one. And he looked at me and said, you're a preacher. I said, how did you know that? He said, nobody could play golf as bad as you and not cuss unless he's a preacher. <laughs> Sometimes they just need a friend. Let them see the difference Christ has made in your life. It's one reason I encourage people to look around and see if somebody's sitting by themselves and go sit with them. They need to feel a little love. We got a lot of it here. Sometimes it just means getting together. I've seen coaches become Christians because they walked around the track with somebody who was a Christian and listened to his complaints about the team. He never preached Bible to him, but he found this guy saying, where do you go to church? 
It's that kind of influence. You can't pigeonhole anybody. What they need is, you can't do that. Find out what they need. Take your time with them. Let them see the difference Jesus makes. And they'll know. I kept playing golf with the two coal miners. On the fourth time we played golf together, one says, I want to cuss for you. <laughs> I said, well, it's not going to change the way I play golf. <laughs> two years later, they both became Christians. What did I do? I played lousy golf. In fact, I couldn't even call that golf. It was hit and hunt. I'll tell you a little about my wife. She says, you're going to play nine holes. I said, yeah, she's got, you got nine balls. After you lose nine balls, you've got to quit. <sighs> but people are influenced by seeing the difference Jesus makes. And he can make that kind of difference in anyone. So we're told to make disciples. Don't do it by pigeonholing. Do it by living a life that shows you've let go of the old life. And you respect the one who died on a cross. So when you are baptized, it means to be plunged under. And you arise, God puts his spirit in you and he changes you from the inside out. It makes all the difference in the world. Now if we can help you get there, we're here. There are a lot of people who are here to, to help you. And if there's something you want to know, we have people here that can help. And if you just want to know a little more about Jesus, we can do that too. If there's a way we can help you in any way, won't you come? Why together we stand and sing.